0: Go ahead, Jeb. I know he's gentleman.
1: Gentlemen, you officially have too much time on your
0: hands. <laughs> All right, then let's talk about airplanes. I don't. It is uh,
2: wicked funny.
0: I do not understand why there aren't more new pilots because it is apparently quite easy to learn how to fly an airplane. There is a uh, an entry a posting on the ehow.com uh, website with uh, a simple. Uh, Six-step instructions on how to learn how to fly a Cessna 182. No, I'm sorry, it's not six instru- uh I'm see, I'm sorry, it's not not just six instructions. It's twelve instructions. Uh, on
1: oh how-
2: well, that's different. Yeah, it's well, a
1: twelve-step. It's a twelve-step. 12 that's 12 right. Step yeah. Program. That's 12, right.
2: Twelve-step program. This Why is does just, that resonates so well. I know, huh?
0: Um, yeah, I know. Really, apologize <laughs> to all the people you scared to death by learning how to fly with only
1: twelve <laughs> steps. Make make sure that the wheel wedges are removed from the wheels. I know. In flight. Yeah. That's, that's, so that, let me make sure I'm wondering, I want, I want to understand the proportionality of these, these 12 steps that they've outlined here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It says, um, step one is study the details of operating the, study the POH. Okay, fine. Um, step six is, is, um. Part part of which is make sure the well. I'll read the whole thing. Make sure the plane has enough fuel, and also make sure the wheel wedges are removed from the wheels before any flight. No, that's that's, that's, oh the wheel wedges. The wheel wedges. (laughs) That's 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 step five. Okay, in interspersed between reading the POH and making sure the airplane has enough fuel and pulling chocks, there are such insignificant items in in comparative, you know, in proportion to number five. Get a pilot's license and enough hours behind a Cessna with an instructor before <laughs> attempting any solo flights. Well,
2: that's, well, that's gee,
1: you, you think that's that, about as easy as topping the airplane off and pulling the chocks? Come yeah, on. That's, and, and that's step two. Yeah. That's, step, that's step two. There are ten more steps after
2: this. It's like, when do we get register a passenger list and a flight plan with the local airport and the FAA? And like, are, you, are, you, are you back uh, Yeah, uh, I'm not so sure about that, dude. Uh, But why are we 12 steps when step two is get a license?
0: Yeah, I know. It's a crazy <laughs> list. This is so eHow is, as I understand it, eHow is a site that it, basically it's one of these sites that just posts lots and lots and lots and lots of little things that will attract people to the site as a result of Google searches and it gives them a chance to display ads. And so people are encouraged to write these trivial little, uh, uh how to's. And so someone with, I gotta figure, no pilot's license, has has written a trivialized uh, list of 12 steps. Here, uh, it,
2: they, they worried me here with this one subhead. Yeah. Uh, from air to the ground. Okay. And it's like, how did he get in the air? Yeah, I know, yeah, right.
1: Well, t- Jeb, go ahead. Read number four. Under, read number four under "From the Air to the
0: Ground." Four from air to the ground. Make sure. The, yeah, I know this was a good one. Make sure the landing gear is not released until the plane is about a few feet from the runway. If you release it too soon, you may compromise the landing. Uh, re- do you have an interpretation for
1: that? Yeah, I was going to say that reads like it was translated uh, in the 1970s from Japanese.
2: Oh well, you never know. Could be, huh? Oh. Oh, 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 oh. And they were running from Gorgon when they were writing it down. <laughs> that's
1: right.
0: That's right. Yeah. Turn off the ignition once the plane comes to a complete stop. Check to no, see if everything that's is okay. Wrong. <laughs>
1: that's, that's wrong. It
0: really is wrong. You know, I mean, it's it like, wrong. even given what this is. Well, all why right?
1: don't we take these people on as a project?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I was looking to see if there's a place <laughs> here to, like, submit
2: corrections. Or
0: it suggest edits? Oh, it's, that's top. just like, you know.
2: I, 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 find, I find some of this intriguing because pretty much everything from this second half steps that would be I'm not sure 1A, 2A, 3B, whatever the second 6 all those things were stuff that you should have learned in step 2 when you... Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I come back to this again uh, uh, how to fly Cessna 182 first Get a Cessna one eighty two an instructor. Second, get a pilot's license in the one eighty two and get the instructor to sign you off as your check ride. Three, take people flying. <laughs> that leaves nine steps for That's other right. stuff. That's right. Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, I wonder if these people if they if they actually had a Cessna one eighty two and got a vanity in number, if it would end in whiskey tango foxtrot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there we go. Doesn't get better than that. Welcome, folks, to episode 235 of Uncontrolled Airspace: The General Aviation Podcast. Clear. You're going to be hearing a little bit of background noise throughout the day, but
1: it's just airplanes, so it's not. It's, it's not really noise. Good background noise. That's yeah, right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We got Skyriders now. We got Skyriders now. We got now. Skyriders right. now. Have, it, does that say UCAP? I can't. It's, it's got a runway
0: down. in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight, Clearland. Turkey National Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot
1: and Alpha. We're
0: recording this episode on Tuesday oh what is it? I don't even write it down. It's Tuesday evening, May third, twenty eleven. And uh joining me here in the virtual hangar, two of my good friends. First of all, Dave Higgins out there talking with us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey David, how you doing?
2: Uh I'm doing wonderful. And you know, not that I'm an expert, I'm not an instructor, and I do not want to play one on TV, radio, or podcast. But my suggestion, do not try to fly a Cessna 182 based on these instructions. Yeah, really.
1: Well, the flip side of which is, you know, that guy, the barefoot bandit, he he did quite all right by himself. Yeah, but (laughs) I'm sure even he had more than
2: 12 steps involved in the whole thing. Oh, yeah. And if you really want a a good 12-step program that involves aviation, uh, you know, send us a note and we'll point to the director of Aviators Anonymous. Yeah.
1: One other thing here, just in in, in in flogging, you know, making sure this horse is dead before yeah. we walk away. Okay. well, <laughs> the, the fourth one is register a passenger list yeah. and a flight plan with a local airport and the FAA. Okay. If I walked up to anywhere on my on any local airport around here and asked them to fill out a passenger list and a flight plan with me. They would laugh their asses off, and yeah. i probably be hauled out of there and handcuffed.
2: I mean, the whole list is right, right before the TSA showed up and, and asked for that passenger list and flight plan. That
1: too? Yeah, that? yeah. So. Maybe we shouldn't talk
0: about that one. I don't know. Yeah, right because NSA is clearly involved in the podcast tonight and uh, you know, you never know what they might how they might react to this. Um I should point out by the way that uh, Dave's a little warbly tonight. We apologize for that. Uh it's it's probably not his bandwidth. It probably has to do with the scotch he's drinking, but uh, no, it's probably the bandwidth. Um well, we don't- but uh, we're hoping it'll settle down as time progresses. But for the time being, he's a little warbly. Ironically, it's not Jeb who's got the bad band well, tonight.
2: I just caught their conversion here. The last sentence since verse step six, uh, the plane has to be at 120 knots or 80 miles an hour for it to take off. I'm sorry, one or the other, because those two ain't the same.
1: No. <laughs> well, yeah, 120, 120 knots in a skyline is hauling butt, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No.
0: And that other voice out there is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm
1: fine. I'm just still getting the kick out of this, um, but we got we got to let this horse.
0: Well, you know, I mean, uh, the the comical comedy, I don't know what's the right word? Comicalness of it aside, that that one you mentioned about the filing a passenger list disturbs me um, because it kind of goes to the whole, you know, mindset of you know, oh, it's just routine. You have to, you know check out, you know, you have to fill out all the TSA information and file a list, and, you know, it's like... you
1: you, you got you to read the first comment showing at the bottom of the, uh, of the after the article. Yeah, followed. what was the first comment, okay. the first let, one? Let me, just, let me just read this. It's, it's, it's classic. Um, so I tried to fly a 182 following these instructions and had some problems. <laughs> first, first, I tried to register a passenger, and all it did was raise the suspicions of a TSA, who said that since I didn't know what I was doing, but I was trying to fly an airplane, I must be a terrorist, and they threw me into Guantanamo. Eventually, I escaped and made my way back to the airport. There wasn't anyone there to file a flight plan with, so the plane wouldn't start. Luckily, after I filed a flight plan with the FAA, the plane miraculously came to life. Unfortunately, unfortunately, since the Cessna uses its throttles instead of pedals, but the handbook says I use the pedals to steer, I spent a lot of time accelerating and decelerating and taxiing around in circles Trying to figure it out, and crashed into a hangar. Luckily, I found another one eighty two to try out. And then, then, <laughs> then, it, then it just goes on, it and, goes on and on
0: and on. on. And I, you know, you don't you don't recognize that name um, because usually that guy goes by the name Pilot Kent. That's Pilot okay, Kent of okay. the uh, Pilotcast Pilot Cast uh,
1: podcast. Pilot Kent, you nailed it, man. Good job.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, um, yeah, there's a bunch of comments here, I'm sure. Oh, look. It, it, you should do one more introduction, and then I want to refer to you to something related to how to fly a 182. Okay. Uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you today from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire, uh, where it's been motorcycle riding weather and uh, and uh, airplane flying weather, weather, but sadly I haven't been doing that. But uh, it's been really nice. Uh, I did visit an airport recently, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, uh, David, what were you going to say?
2: Well, if you look on the right-hand side of the page that we were discussing how to fly a Cessna 182, there's a link to how to modify a Cessna 182. Yeah, I saw that. I And I, I said, "Oh, this could be really juicy.
0: And uh, it's just a list of things that you can, you know, like STCs kind of thing that you can add to your airplane. Were there good ones there? I only read the first two, and I said, okay, nothing there.
2: Well, that, that was... As far as I got before, my computer looked back at me, got an apoplectic, and refused to let me look at any more of it. So yeah, so yeah,
0: there's all kinds of comments there. I, actually, before Jeff mentioned it, I hadn't even gone down as far as the comments. In addition to Pilot Kent, uh, Dave Allen has checked in here. Rick Felty has checked oh, okay. in here. Good, good. Uh, Nate Doer is checked in here. Let's see, what other names do I recognize? Uh, those are the names I recognize from the the visible comments. There's a bunch more. So, anyways, oh, Steve Tupper's here. Uh, Steve was the first one to actually turn us on to this. Steve uh, tweeted this uh, this bit uh, about, a, I don't know, five or six that days was, ago. That
2: was really tweet of him. Yeah,
0: and so he's the one who turned us on to this, and I uh, appreciate that. Yeah. Anyways, what's going on in, in airplanes these days? Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. Um, so uh, my dad, my, my elderly father, um, is uh, doesn't get around as well as he used to, but he's still fascinated by stuff. And one of the things he's fascinated by is airplanes and airplane-related things. About, oh, I guess last fall or last summer, uh, my brother and sister took him to a place up here uh, just over the line in Maine where they do uh, parachuting. And you can kind of just hang out by the edge of the field and watch the parachutists come down and, and touch down. And uh, on Sunday afternoon, my dad and I were looking for something to do. And I said, Dad, let's go watch the, air- the parachutes because uh, I-, I missed out on it. And he goes, oh, yeah, let's do that. So we jumped in. The- we didn't jump in the car. My dad doesn't jump into anything anymore. But we got into the car <laughs> and uh, uh, and we headed up to Lebanon, Maine, uh, which is where uh, they- there's a- it's a private airstrip that is uh, exclusively for the purposes of, uh, I think they call themselves Skydive Lebanon. And, uh, they have quite an active, uh, skydive operation up there. Um, it's actually very well known to pilots in the area because you kind of, you know, kind of unofficially stay away because they have a very distinctive red roof and you kind of look for the red roof and you give it a lot of, a lot of lateral distance so you don't interfere, and get jammed up with the jumpers. Um, Sadly, my dad and I didn't get a chance to see parachute jumpers that day because although it was a beautiful day on Sunday, it was very windy and they weren't jumping. Uh, They were waiting for the wind to die down. And uh, so we kind of, you know, looked at the green grass and all the people for a few minutes and then we drove away. Here's the thing I wanted to mention, all right, is that. There were a lot of people at this airport having a good old time. All right, this is the way airports ought to be. All right, there were there was a campground right adjacent to the airport with a little footbridge that you kind of cross this creek, and people were over there camping with their camper trailers and their tents and whatnot, and they were all coming out and they were hanging out on the decks by the uh, by the you know place where I guess they do instruction and whatnot uh, and gear up for the uh, for the uh, for the jumping. And, uh, there were just a lot of people having a good old time hanging out at the airport and it was very, very cool. And I don't know why we can't figure out how to do that kind of thing with more airports. We need to come up with, you know, goes back to the, the old, uh, Wings Field near Philadelphia story about how there was a country club right on the airport grounds. And and this was back when country clubs or anyways, this particular country club wasn't like an exclusive hoity toity thing. It was just a regular folks go and hang out at the airport and, uh, should do more of this i'm going to go back i think i want to go back to lebanon with like a video camera or something like that and interview some people and talk about this kind of cool airport which and it's skydiving so it's nothing i'm ever going to do but uh they've cracked <laughs> some sort of code here um they had a really really cool vibe going on at this place and uh are they,
1: are they well, giving away free beer
0: i know i don't know maybe huh you know so uh
2: this is a privately owned
0: airport correct
2: correct, correct. yeah uh and that has a lot to do with it uh, Sure Some folks that have carved out—they—they've they've decoded a formula, found something that works. Uh, they have the acreage, the footage, the access, and and the 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 neighborly consent to do what they're doing, and that really works. Uh, uh, Lee Bottom Airpark Airport, there are near Madison, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they got a, a few little cabins there, camping space whenever they're open. Uh, you know, the 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 the. Husband and wife that run that operation—they're basically trying to do the same thing. They don't have skydiving on the field, but they have some uh, events through the uh, through the year, and uh, their their big antique car and fabric airplane uh, uh, dealing in September. And uh, it takes a lot of work in a community to put that together. Uh, and th- those are just hard to come by, and they're almost always, you know, private private airports, as far as I can tell. Uh, like some of the specialty hang gliding places where they've got cabins and bunkhouses for the people to come and they just live right there, uh, you know, hang out there when they go on vacation. They get tow ups. Uh, there's some sailplane operations that are approached that way. Uh, there's a handful of airports that you can fly into and walk across the runway or across the ramp to a hotel or a bed and breakfast. Uh, but they all have to fight tooth and nail to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this was very
0: cool. And, uh, we should all, you know, and Lee Bottom's probably a great example. I've never been there. I'm hoping to go there later this year, by the way. I want to go to the they have a big fly-in in like September or something like that. They have fly-ins all the time, but I guess they have a bigger yeah, sh- one sh- than sh- average one.
1: Shoot. Sh- yeah. Shoot me the dates on that.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause we have a standing uh, invitation from, uh, from uh, a guy, um, to be our host yeah, there. And, uh,
2: right. He's up uh, in Cincinnati.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, he's like, he. in addition to his Navion, he's got a, a cub, I think, he owns or has a part of or is able to fly or something, and... Uh um, so, uh, yeah, so these kinds of airports you know apparently some of them have cracked the code and are creating really vibrant little communities, and more and more airports ought to figure this out because it was it was very cool. I was only there for about twenty minutes kind of waiting to see what would happen, um, but just watching everybody having a good old and there wasn 't even flying and jumping going on you know they were just hanging out at the airport, sitting on the deck, enjoying the day, you know talking about whatever they were talking about. you know if there had been airplanes if there had been flying going on, it would have been over the top, cool all right it was yeah. you know. So, uh, uh, that's Lebanon, Maine Airport. It's just over the line from Rochester, New Hampshire, if you're in the area, and uh, apparently they welcome uh, spectators. Uh, You don't got to go and jump. You can just go and watch the sights, and uh, um, it's pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of
1: fun. Yeah. Was this a special event, or is that their regular complement of visitors?
0: Well, that's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, It may well have been a special. They certainly, there was a a standing campground next to the place, so that's there all the time. Whether or not the crowd was bigger than average, I don't know the answer to that.
1: So one could camp there as well as uh, fly in there and... Like yeah, that. I don't know.
0: You know, and I think the airport is really not open to the public in terms of fly-ins and things. I think it is. It, it's it exists like like I said, it's a private airport, probably owned by the jump operation. Um, uh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, it might
2: be. It might be accessible by prior arrangement, perhaps. I mean, you know, if they if they were going to entertain some company that was going to do some jumping and pay for camping space, then the airplane would get in and out of the runway. I'd be really surprised to hear that they'd turn that away. Yeah. As long as they knew it was coming. As yeah. As it was coming. We we know a couple of places along those lines. It. As long as they know you're coming, it's the people that drop in and say, you know, I just thought I'd come in and look around, and it's like, wow, we were in the middle of dropping parachutists. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I've been watching Housewives of New Jersey. <laughs> you <laughs> Moving on, I've often joked about how uh, once upon
0: a time um, I was seriously considering starting a kit project, and uh, I, and uh, how I asked my roommate whether it would be okay if I started building the empennage on the dining room table, <laughs> and uh, and that he uh, and that he kind of frowned at that idea, and so as a result I did not begin the project. Um, that story is slightly true, but not completely true. This story apparently is true. Um, piece by piece, a Jersey City man built his own airplane inside his downtown home. Uh, this is a 53 year old Jersey City man um, who, uh, and there's a lot of information here, but I guess the gist of it is that he attended Oshkosh uh, in uh, 2009 and became inspired by a uh, particular aircraft. I believe it was a glider of some sort, or a, let's see now. Have you guys read this story better than I have? A Senox. Demonstrate, uh, and uh, so anyways, he, uh, he said... It sounded like a Sonics. It might have been a Sonics, and that's just the uh, media... Uh, folks spelling it wrong. Uh, I think that's probably what it is. Yeah, Uh, It says, uh, after measuring every room in his house, Jackson attended a workshop in October a month later. Oh, and then a month later, a plane in thousands of pieces, nuts and bolts, etc. was delivered to his doorstep. Stacking all the boxes in his first floor dining room, Jackson purchased drills, a bandsaw, files, a bench grinder, and other miscellaneous tools to tackle the airplane one part at a time. He's quoted as saying it was a very tight fit for a long time. And there was barely enough room to move, and it goes on. So uh sounds like he finished it here. Let's see. Let's, uh, after uh, receiving his airworthiness certificate from the Federal Aviation Administration, Jackson made a successful 35-minute maiden flight on March 27th. Uh, and so uh, he's now doing his uh, 40-hour flyoff, and uh, cool, very cool.
2: Yeah, really. That's just... Neater in hell.
0: Yeah. Now, I'm trying to, let's see now, just why am I not finding his full name here? It's in this story someplace. But uh, did you ever try to build an airplane? Dave, you
2: started an RV at one point. Michael Jackson is the guy's. It's in the first sentence. Michael Jackson loves a challenge. There we go. Yeah. So. uh, Well, we used the den in our house. Did you really? Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I set a jig up there and I built all the empennage parts for an RV6 and then stumbled in a re- into a really, really reasonable deal on a Cherokee 140, and that's as far as I got. Yeah, so uh, was
0: there any issue getting it out? Was it too big for the, uh, it was like a ship-in-a-bottle kind of thing, or were you able to
2: get it out the door when you decided? Oh, it was to- no problem getting the pieces out the door, and I could have done the wings in there as well. Uh, the room is really long and kind of narrow. Uh-huh. Uh, uh and there was nothing else in the room except a workbench and uh the, the uh horizontal jig that I used to uh you know in, put the spars in for the uh I'll put the spars in for the uh uh horizontal uh surfaces the elevators the, the vertical stab and the rudder uh-huh. all got built on this jig with the spar mounted horizontally to the jig and then everything got built on top of it. Uh, those parts were easy to get out. A wing, we did a chest swing with a piece of wood cut to the same length and depth. It wasn't as thick, but it was easy to to see pretty quickly that if we did like a three-point turn, taking one end of the wing out of the den and into the master bedroom through that doorway and then rotating in <laughs> it way back out the door, from the den to the outside we'd be able to get it out no sweat no strength now was this
0: when was this oh yeah this is in the 140 days or the 180
2: days so it was Annie was in the picture her so oh yeah this was uh, 1990 this would have been ninety uh, i've said it before Annie even sent me out to uh out to Oregon to go to Vance Aircraft's uh Week long home building school.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. I'll say it. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You're married to a saint. There's no question about it. <laughs> uh, Jeb, did you ever try? You've never tried to build an airplane, have you?
1: No, no. I've tried to take a few apart.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that. Uh, <laughs> did you ever try and build a motorcycle in the house? Are those. That's always no. Been but
1: the, I, I've worked on. Mo- I've never built a motorcycle. Period. But I I've certainly worked on many in the house in the in in the winter time up in Virginia. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I remember having two in my basement all winter, one winter.
0: Yeah, but that's the basement. No, like, you didn't have one in the dining room, right?
1: Well, I spent a lot of time in the basement.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's like home. Yeah. Yeah. It's like home. There's a uh, there's a guy. This is now we're really getting out of airplanes here. There's a guy in one of the motorcycle forums that's talking about how he's he's uh, uh, restoring a uh, a motorcycle in his studio apartment. This is in right. in like London or something, you know, England someplace. And uh, he's like everyone's just thrilled as he tells of his progress of of uh, working on this this motorcycle in a very very constrained non mechanical kind of space and. Uh, he tells a very funny story about how one day he was standing in front of the building and he saw his landlord appear, and he raced back up to his apartment and hid all the pieces of the motorcycle under the bed and in the closets and under the sink, and he wanted to get the motorcycle out of sight.
2: Anyways. Well, the three three Harleys my buddy Tom and I built for me and a couple of bikes we built for him uh, had a great big garage to work on them in, on yeah. my, my nine in. But when it came to some of the treatments that were necessary in overhauling uh... anti Carly Davidson engines, uh, it, well, let's just put it this way. I, I probably would have a hard time getting away with that a second time in a house. Like bead blasting, building a little booth in the garage and bead blasting off the cylinder fins. But then baking them in the oven to get it hot enough to spray with wrinkled See, black paint.
1: L- let me guess. Let me guess. You were not married.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: You were married at that time.
2: I was married at that time. That's how I know that's, I couldn't get away with it a second time. To, you were married. That's
1: unusual. That's unusual.
2: You were married to the wife that you were eventually no longer married to. <laughs> that's true too. Yeah, yeah okay. so it wasn't what, the same wife. Did this,
1: yeah. did this contribute in any fashion?
2: No, actually, giving up motorcycles for hang gliding was a contributing factor. Ah, okay. Ah. We'll see then. So you traded up,
0: clearly. Um, so you've been trying to kill yourself for a long time. That... <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of workspaces, Jeb, any progress on the hangar uh, since I've been down there? You, uh... I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Still only has half a door, <laughs> huh? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to talk about
2: it. I love it. Uh, let's see I'm gonna turn off how to modify 182 I'm not qualified
0: on a more serious note uh, a very very cool news they've apparently found the uh, both uh, recorders uh, from Air France 447 yeah Um, this is uh, you know and and Jeb I think you were the first one who said you thought that they originally you you said they'll find them eventually Uh, they and and you're right they they have now they've packaged them up and shipped them back to wherever, probably as you said, probably France. And uh, when, how long will it take before we get any any indication that that there's data there?
1: I have no idea how fast the French are going to work on this. Um, this is this was a French manufactured aircraft. It was a French airline, and the French is going to are, are going to do the investigation on it. Um, I have no no experience, no recent experience with them to to even guess how long it will be before even some initial word comes out. I would guess it's either going to come out quickly or it's not. Uh, I don't think there's going to be in in between. I think we'll hear something, you know, over the weekend, maybe Friday night, the Friday night dunes dump. uh, We might hear something. Uh, Either that or we won't hear anything for a while.
2: Well, it's not just as simple as, oh, we got the memory pop it out of a container, no, the pop it in. You know, yeah. there's considerations like whether to even take it out of the water that it's in. Right. I mean, they bring it up with water, well, keep it immersed well, in water before one, they change one, that out and get all that stuff about, undone. Yeah, and Jeb, go ahead, Jeb.
1: One good thing about very deep ocean water, uh, my understanding, I'm not an oceanographer. My understanding is it's not nearly as salty. Not nearly, the saline content is not nearly as high. I think you're and right, in, yeah. In very, very deep water. You still have the pressure issue, of course. Um, but this was like 12,000 some odd feet, as I recall, maybe 13. Um, well, aren't these supposed to be solid to state modules? They are. This is, this is the top of the line, uh, all yeah. mods, latest technology aircraft. So, if it's they got would all stand. The, all the bells and whistles on the CVR and the FDR.
2: If they withstand the same thing a couple of my compact flashcards have withstood, uh-huh. they will work. They will work.
1: And I, I think, I think I've had mine
2: through the washer, a yeah. hot cycle, spin, rinse, and the dryer before I found them, the, the, and they the still thing,
1: work. Yeah. The thing is, if if it makes it to the bottom intact, yeah, that's the worst that's going to happen to it. Yeah. Um. So, they, From what photos are available, um. Oh, there's BEA's website has some images. Uh, there's some images in the in the popular media. Uh, from the images available, um, both units look to be in, in in decent shape. They're not crushed. They're not imploded. Uh, they still have orange paint on them. I dare say I wouldn't look all that good uh, yeah. a, after you know yeah. two years at thirteen thousand feet. Yeah. So. Oh
2: man! Don't give me a straight line like. Don't oh, get no. Never no. Down boy, down boy, Jeb.
1: Um, Don't make me come out there. You you were really following this quite closely for a while. Are you still? Um, well, yes and no. Every time there's a new another break in the story, um, I, but I'm, there really hasn't been any breaks in the story since you know the the I would say maybe three months after the accident. Um, by that time, all of the uh, uh, the telemetry data and I forget the acronym for it. Um, that had been, had been uh, sent by satellite to ground stations during the flight had indicated you know, a, a steady progression, of, of a steady progress of loss of various systems, um, many of them critical to, to normal flight. Um, things like pitot tubes and, and there was a pressurization issue or pressurization fault or whatever. There were all kinds of, of bells and whistles going right. off in this cockpit. On the A car, I guess that's what you know. It was an A car's transmission. For the the A cars, yeah, yeah. Um, but no one's been able to make sense of those. And what I understand to have been the or to be the case is that while all of those things probably and undoubtedly occurred, other things needed to have happened that were not transmitted. Right. Well, there, I- there's there's speculation that the satellite itself was perhaps a little bit out of alignment during the accident sequence, which you know. I hope not, but you know, I hope it wasn't that bad an accident sequence. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't, No one knows, right? What that's, I was getting we're at hoping was hoping to find out.
0: What I was getting at was wondering whether. So they've been sifting through the wreckage on the bottom of the ocean for a couple of weeks now, and I was wondering whether any any analysis has come out based on the condition of the wreck, of the wreckage. Have they
1: learned anything from I that? I haven't seen anything uh, mentioned, and it hasn't been anything on the on the uh, BEA website. I think, and, and, I, and I, if so, I, I, I agree with their emphasis being on getting down there, finding the black boxes, and then deciding what next to do. And I, I think there will be uh, wreckage uh, recovered. I think there will be, in fact, bodies recovered mm-hmm. um, from, from the wreckage. Um, there might be other components brought to the surface um, as time and, and need permits. But what I'm kind of seeing, um, one one of the things we have not seen in any of the images sent up, have been you know large pieces of airframe or engine. What we do see is is what I would call a relatively small piece of an A three hundred and thirty, which tells me nothing. Yeah, we don't know if all this came apart in the air, if it came apart when it hit the water. Um, Came apart, you know, somehow, some kind of an implosion or some other uh, um, violent force as the as the uh, fuselage sank to the bottom. No one knows yet, you know, how this airplane came apart. We've got some evidence. Maybe it'll prove, you know, uh, um, worthy of the effort. Uh, but they're not finished. I don't think pulling stuff up. Right.
0: right. Yeah. No. Okay, well, we're, gonna, we're obviously going to keep an ear on this because this Absolutely. is pretty intriguing. This
1: is really this very intriguing. Is, and, this uh, is one of the, the aviation stories of the decade, in my opinion, is, is what you we know, is wow. going on. Now, yeah, really, that's, I, I, here's a, again, here's a top-of-the-line jet transport, uh, fat, dumb, and happy, and it doesn't get, it doesn't get to its destination. Why? What yeah. led up to this? This is not supposed to happen. Yeah. It's sim- we're simply beyond all this.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely pay attention. We'll, so we'll,
1: this this one's this one's got a lot this one's got a lot writing on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, there's a lot to go here. I mean they they would be able to discern based on analysis of how things were bent and broken up, whether some of this stuff occurred in flight, whether it occurred on sure. impact with the water. Uh, but that entails bringing up a lot of wreckage. It does, uh, and I think that's they're awesome. first going to want to examine what they can get off the, the recorders, yeah. particularly since they're going to have European European standards for cockpit voice recording are a little deeper than American standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to the cockpit area mic that's common in American airliners, they also have uh, feeds from the individual mics of the pilots, so you. You, you get a little more depth in the audio, uh, and they can discern better noises that might happen that oh, the cockpit oh, area oh. might pick up.
1: All of it, this is digital data.
2: And all of it's digital, okay. right.
1: And it wouldn't surprise me. All of this is digital data. Even the voice uh, transmitted, that's all digital. And there's no analog stuff in, 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 in this transport anymore. Um, it, as long as there's a hard drive somewhere, it recorded it. Yeah. Yeah. The data is probably there.
2: Yep. Yeah. We'll sit tight and see what they discover. Oh, and, and the number of parameters that they, de- they collect uh-huh. now on a digital flight data recorder, it's just staggering how much data they've got coming in. And, and uh, there's,
1: there's some really neat graphs of this data. If, if, you, if you've ever paid much attention to some of the detail in these accident reports, um, you'll see like a, a square graph. Every single side of it um, is is some um, uh, metric, yeah. you know, you know, altitude or speed or uh, uh, climb rates, gear position, all these kinds of things. And it's really incredible to see some of this stuff graph.
0: Yep, now, it's going to be look cool. Look
1: at it for a you look at it from a graphic standpoint, it's just exceedingly well done. All the information is there, and it's readily understood.
0: Yeah, and these days, they they plug it into a flight simulator-type program and actually make renderings of what the airplane was doing, you know, so that you can actually sort of, quote-unquote, making finger quotes here, see um, the airplane during the incident. So
2: Yeah, that's how they determined a Boeing accident, uh, oh, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago, was... Uh, uh, an unflyable situation for the crew. A 747 had an engine on one side depart and take out the other engine on the same side as it left. Oh, I hate it when that happens. So a 747 now suddenly has no engines on one wing, not just no power on one wing, but no engines on one wing. Yep. And lost some of the hydraulics that control flight surfaces on that wing. And in all this power on the other side, and it was not survivable right it, and it happened twice uh then they when they when they figured that out on the on uh, on the simulators, when they had like the seventh or eighth professional pilot not be able to fly the airplane without dying in the simulator, they kind of went, wow this this, this this is probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, more on Air France 447 when we hear it.
0: Um what else is going on? So, we've all kind of kind of recovered from sun and fun now. Uh we've all oh. kind of calmed ah. down and caught our breath. Um and now it's time to start getting all worked up about Air Venture. And uh and uh to uh, to kick off the excitement about Air Venture, uh we have the Air Venture Notam is out for this year. And so uh, as hey. As we say, everybody should go to the AirVenture website and either download a PDF or order a paper copy or do however you do to get one of these things. Or both. Or both. Or both. Um, I haven't read it word for word, um, but I'm just kind of skimming it here. Um, and in their little change notes, they're relatively minor changes uh, for 2011. Um, some things about frequencies, some things about some restricted area and MOA activity. Um, Apparently, it just says here, aircraft types eligible for turbine warbird arrival. and then it says uh, uh, low-altitude IFR departure routes and so forth. So it's nothing really notable, but, uh, um, you know, you've got to take a look at this thing. Even if you've flown the, the uh, procedure before, you've got to take a look at this thing and
2: refamiliarize yourself, and uh, and well, yourself. You, you just pointed out the most important part about this. What's that? It's a little different every year. Yeah. And yeah. the only way to be sure that you don't foobar yourself in any given year is to have that year's no temp. Yeah. Not last year's, not the years before, not kind of slap your head and go, well, I didn't think that would have changed.
0: Yeah, exactly. and then
2: that will be the thing that changed.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at the section on uh, Turban Warbird arrivals here, trying to see what the difference is. I, I've always been a little jealous of those guys because they get to sneak in over the aisle. It just feels like they've got an easier way to come in, you know. And
2: well, uh, don't, don't forget that there, there's a relative cost for that because – you, you, you're using a lot more kerosene than most of the average arrivals use gasoline.
0: Yeah, and it probably wouldn't be wise to mix the 152s and the Mustangs, right? You know the. Uh...
2: I wouldn't want to do that for starting out at ripping.
0: No, exactly. Yeah, so. Uh... Anyways, without reading the whole thing, I don't see what the difference is from one year to the next. But uh, I was wondering whether they've expanded the envelope for airplanes that can come in on that arrival
2: or or closed it down a little bit. But uh, one well, When I th- get my hard copy, I'm going to sit down with last year's hard copy and take a look. Because gotcha. that's, that, that's kind of fun. Gotcha.
0: So uh, it's still a little ways off. I um, actually got a press release from them today pointing out that it's 100 days until Oshkosh. And so, uh, yeah, a little bit of time, but uh, starting to get excited about it. Um, have you guys got any, have you, uh, what, what's, is there anything in particular we're looking forward to this year? I guess one of the big deals is going to be uh, celebrating 100 years of naval aviation. And uh, that could be pretty cool. I- I've always been a fan of, with all due respect to all the other branches and to all my friends who are fans of other branches, uh, I've always been a big fan of naval aviation. I-, I think landing on a carrier,
2: man, you're a hot pilot. And uh, Well, so- it does take a different degree of aviation skill to be able to put a uh, 160-knot approach speed jet on 300 yards of pavement and get it stopped in 200. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and it's moving away from you. Yep.
0: Anything else happening at Oshkosh this summer that uh, we'll talk more about it a lot as we get closer. Oh, yeah. But. Uh, but uh,
2: There's going to be a higher degree of Rutan mania. Uh, uh, yeah. Right. right. Um, Celebrating Mr. Uh, Burt's uh, retirement, quote unquote, moving to Idaho uh, there's going to be a lot of some of his older designs there. I would imagine a healthy representation of long easies and very easies uh, and some stuff like his old Bearcat and, and yeah, so forth. That'll be
0: cool. I remember one year, it's probably 15 years ago now, they had uh, they, they went out of their way to try and get as many long easies and routine designs there as they possibly could. And there was just a huge field filled wingtip wing to wingtip. Actually, more and, than and that, overlapping that, that, wingtips.
2: That, that's that's not all that easy.
0: Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, oh, David, and then uh, and then they did some some formation flybys, and uh, it was very cool to see all those long easies and and uh, handful of fair easies and and other, other Rutan designs. That was very cool. So that'll be nice to uh, pay our respects to uh, to Bert as he goes off into retirement. And
2: uh, uh, I, I believe we're supposed to be getting beefy from the commemorative air force headquarters uh, down in texas i think you're right That's the world's only flying example of the boeing b-29 uh, and she's been a long time getting back to health so that will be very cool
0: Yeah. anyways more on that as time progresses but uh... looking forward to it starting to get excited Jeb, you put, this, uh, you, you put on the list the story from the Miami Herald um, yeah. about an airplane crash, tragic airplane crash, so we don't want to yeah. be too f- uh, 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 flippant about this. But uh, um, you, you made comment about one line in the story, and it actually gets even more interesting than it was when you added us to the list. Let's talk about it for a second. Uh, go
1: ahead. This is a Beach 18 cargo flight that uh, departed, um, I want to say, Miami International. Uh, but it might have been um, Lauderdale International. Uh, I think it was yesterday morning, for like 8 a.m. <clears throat> local time. Beach 18, cargo flight, um, crashed off the end of the runway, killed a pilot, hit a house, set the house on fire. Um, very, very interesting crash, and NTSB and is already on this and has already put out a, a press release. This stuff shouldn't be happening either. Um, so, um I, I clicked on this link this morning, getting my news fixed, and read about this on the Miami Herald, Herald website. And one of the lines in the, uh, in the story read the following, the family inside the home evacuated safely before the crash. How did they know yeah, to evacuate I
0: know. before now, the crash? Here's the thing that makes this observation doubly interesting. All right? um, I'm pretty sure that line is gone from the story as it exists me, on the website me, right now. Let me
1: click on this link. Uh, I, I, I see what you're saying.
0: You're not the first person to, co- to point this out. Um, really? One of the commenters uh, uh, at the, at the, underneath the story um, said uh, uh, someone named Tom Miami writes, I'm, I sure am glad they took that phone call to evacuate. And then he also uh, repeats the quote you did. The family inside the home evacuated before the crash. Right, right. He says, "I wonder how much warning they got." All right, but right. I cannot find. Uh, I don't uh,
1: see it here now either.
0: Yeah, I think they've, they've fixed the story this to either. take out this kind of nonsensical reference here. Well, what,
1: the the reference to any uh, to any resident of the house is the following: the one person in the house was not injured, authorities said, although the home was left with smoke damage. Yeah, doesn't say anything about evacuating the house before the crash. Um, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I see that. I see that comment. I, so the I, it's follow up says yeah. the same thing. Yeah.
0: So it's just this is, a, this is just a textbook example of mainstream media: um, a not getting the story real accurate, and b um,
2: you know they've written it in a, in a no paper. And and a four minute lead time on knowing which house that when Beach right. was going to hit is really remarkable. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they, anyways, they, yet another example. They,
1: they've, they've stuck that down the memory hole there, and, and there's no notation on the, on the website, you know, on this news article, that it's been edited since it was originally posted. That's, that tends to be bad form on the Internet.
0: Yeah. So, so um, you know, just another example of mainstream media not getting it right. You know, um,
2: Might have been written by the – no, I was going to make a uh, – Oh, uh, this is in a comment – no, no, no. Oh, it's down it, there in a comment now. It, yeah.
1: It, no, no, no. It, yeah, it's, a couple of commenters saw the original version of the story, as did I, and said, and he said you know, what, what's up with this quote, and, and why is it not there anymore?
2: You know. Yeah, so. And of course, here's the most important question. I mean, obviously, everything hinges on this. Did he file a flight plan? <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, <laughs> okay. Well, we, I, talked, we talked about that in the, in the 182 training. That's on eHow. how I think we're past that, too.
2: Yeah.
0: So, anyways, all right. Um, mainstream media does a bad job of reporting about aviation, uh, yet again. is that
2: like one of those machines that they put on people's cars after they've had too many DUIs? Instead of blowing into the machine, you have to feed the flight plan and the passenger list into it before the engine will start? I don't know. I've never heard of such a thing. I don't know. I Me mean, neither. Just...
0: Yeah, Okay. So Jeb, you're you're a little uh, you're a little uh, uh, kerfuffled here about the uh, latest um, uh, what is it uh, AOPA eBrief reader poll.
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't know that
0: I call that a reader poll. <laughs> so this week, what they've asked us is a reader poll. What's the best way to run an engine? And the two choices are rich of peak and lean of
2: peak. Which and neither one of them was the choice I was expecting.
1: Well, what what were what were the questions? I mean, is, is this really the only question that was asked? And are these the, really the only two choices?
2: Yeah. Well, well, that's that's the way they set these puppies up. They set you up with a question, and then they feed you two answers, which in some cases may not fit or well. Sometimes more answers than two, but you know they they it's structure the answer so you don't get a choice of none of the above or yeah, but.
1: Yeah, it's like taking an FAA written exam. You choose the best answer, not necessarily the correct answer. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, now this,
0: this though, this resurrects a, a, a debate that's apparently been going on for a long time in aviation. Am I right?
1: Which debate are we talking about? About the not, about rich- some of the non- nonsensical polls no no, 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 no. Rich of or- Peak versus <laughs> Lean of Peak. <laughs> the, the Lean of Peak, Rich of Peak debate, uh, such as it is, is, is um, it's, I guess it's still present and accounted for. Um, it shouldn't be. I mean, there, are, there is ample yeah. evidence, documentation, going back 50, 60 years, maybe even back into World War II, talking about how to run an engine in cruise um, and how to keep it cool and how to keep it happy. Um, and so
2: Lena Peak has been part of that equation
1: all that time. All that time. Um, this is something that, uh, um, airline pilots were trained to do on DC sixes and DC sevens with the turbo compound engines, uh, back in the fifties and sixties. This is nothing new. This has gotten to be, you know, some, I won't say lost art or lost knowledge, but a lot of people have been reluctant to teach it because they they, I don't know, don't have the time, don't have the energy or don't have the understanding to teach proper engine management. The other thing is the engines we're flying are less expensive, less complex, and less powerful than some of these these larger engines that were run on on uh, these big airliners and, and big transports back in the day. But the same principles apply whether it's a lawnmower or an R3380. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- There's certain things that go on in the combustion chamber um, that we're lucky enough to be able to control manually. It would be if they were, it was all controlled automatically, like you know the modern automobile or something like that. Well, we can't have everything, uh, but we can control it. And if we understand what we're doing, there are times when you want to run rich of peak, well rich of peak. There are times when you may r- want to run lean of peak, and there are times when you may want to run the engine at peak EGT. It all depends. And, yeah. and th- to oversimplify, what is is. A, not only a technical question, but I think one of relative importance for one who intends to to operate an airplane for transportation uh, It's just a really an oversimplification of a very complex subject. And I certainly understand that um, you know trying to you know all that won't fit neatly on a pole. But if not, then you know one of the results here is we're we're kind of giving people not so much bad training but we're, we're giving them the concept that there's only two ways to operate the engine when there's many many different ways to operate one of these, these uh, aircraft piston engines um, and to simplify it and to, and to I don't know kind of stigmatize things between uh, rich or lean of peak versus all, all kinds of other factors that are involved here um, just isn't really all that helpful it might be entertaining but it's not all that helpful.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, we visit we visited the topic of this series of polls previously, recently. Uh I think we got into the discussion about running the tank dry, which kind of irked the crap out of me because again, the the way this can, the, the question was structured and in the answer choices, keep the engine running, why scare your passengers? Uh, Running on empty momentarily, there are times when it's a smart move. How about the other 14 in-between ideas that could come along with this? And then why do you have to scare the passengers? You look at them and you say, it may get quiet for a moment. (laughs) it won't be quiet for a moment.
1: Yeah, well. one, One wouldn't normally shut off the engine on a car going from point A to point B. It's probably not a really good idea to shut off the engine of the airplane while going from point A to point B with passengers in it we covered that last episode we don't, yeah, we don't yeah no we don't need to go
0: back into that we don't, I, we don't need to
1: kill another you know
0: this is this is uh, I don't know just to me it, it appears that this is just ebrief trying to you know do things that will build their audience and have well, something of, interesting one, and page views things, and
1: one of the things this does also and I don't know if there are any click throughs here or uh you know what the linkage is whether on the website or, or wherever else but there's an article in this month's a o p a magazine uh, um Tom, uh huh. Tom Haines, Tom Horn. Is that who it was? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, it was Tom
2: Horn and uh, I think Dave Hirschman. Okay, you're right. You're right, Dave Hirschman. Uh, you know, Tom it's H- kind of like a, a a take on a Saturday Night Live sketch that was a take on a 60 Minutes feature. Yeah, Jeb, what was it about?
1: Right, right. Uh, it was it was about Richard Peake, Lena Peck. It, it was a you know he said she, she she said you know Jane you ignorant slut kind of thing. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it didn't you know. <laughs> <laughs> <What>?
0: <laughs> he just wants to see these two guys doing the <laughs> saturday night live thing yeah and did what did they did, did you read it i haven't even seen this I,
1: I i i didn't read it in detail um it was it was basic there was some st- some statements in there that are that could have been restated made made more accurate shall we say um, okay. but it, it the whole the whole kind con- okay fine um why, why are we debating whether to do something? Why don't we teach someone how to do it right. and let yeah, them make the decision?
2: It, Jim and I both have the benefit of attending the advanced pilot seminars, which were put together by some of the people who developed actual empirical data to back up the lean of peak argument uh which I don't consider an argument anymore. I considered it, you know, uh, a settled settled science. Uh but then that's the problem sometime is you get into this, yeah, but yeah, but I heard this. Well yeah, but this is what I was told and yeah but this and yeah but that. No, this is actual science. Yeah, but some people question that. Yeah, well some people are morons. Uh <laughs> I mean, it is, no, it's, it's, it's like questioning whether two and two is still four, whether gravity actual works, and whether we run on oxygen and whatever well, carbohydrates look, we consume.
1: Well, look, it's, 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 really, it's really simple. As we lean an airplane, let me, let me rephrase this. As we lean the mixture of an internal combustion engine from very well rich of peak EGT, um, to PKGT and then passed it into lean of PQGT. Certain things happen. Certain things happen with respect to the um, amount of fuel burned. Certain things obviously. Certain things happen with respect to the fuel air ratio. Certain things happen with respect to when uh, the fuel is most combust the fuel air mixture is most combustible and when that the deton- its detonation occurs. The heat generated and the pressures established when that occurs. These things are known quantities. These things are predictable. They're well understood by engineers, and, and it can be well instrumented. Uh, aircraft engines can be well instrumented to, to track all of these parameters. And what the science simply says is that if you want to run it uh, uh, rich of peak, this is, these are the drawbacks. And if you want to run it you know, within 50 or so degrees rich of peak, then you have other more significant drawbacks. And then when you run at lean of peak or at peak under certain conditions, you have these other considerations. And it's all a combination of factors that one needs to take into account when one is flying an airplane engine. It, it's it's not effective. It's not um, helpful. And it's not, I don't think, correct to say um, you should, one should always run an engine rich of peak or lean of peak. There are occasions for both. And... Um, I think what we should be working on, worrying about, is a better understanding of how these engines work uh, rather than simply teaching uh, uh, route uh, policies.
2: Yeah. You, you can learn how to do it all correctly by just reading how to fly 172. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. 12 steps, man. That's all it takes. That's right. That's right. It's all it takes. Right. Hey, uh,
0: let's see now. Reaching the end of our allotted time. Shout outs. First of all, um, we heard uh, some some uh, interesting, uh, well-deserved news recently, and that is that um, for for years now we've known that Steve Tupper of the Airspeed podcast and of Acrocamp and of a number of different aviation project um, has been a, a very devoted Civil Air Patrol uh, participant. Um, it was announced just recently that Steve has been selected to be the newest member of the board of the of the board of directors of the Civil Air Patrol Foundation. Oh, cool. um which is the uh uh the fundraising arm of uh, CAP. So we just want to shout out our congratulations to Steve um and uh, tip our hat to uh, him for uh, this deserved uh, uh honor and opportunity and and uh you know chance for him to do even more for the Civil Air Patrol program. Um the the, the newest member of the board of directors of the Civil Air Patrol Foundation. That's Steve Tupper. Uh what else? David, you got anything? Uh, can I take the last one on your list? Uh, I I would love you to because you know this gentleman better
2: than I do. Dave Scolaire. Get well, get well soon. We're thinking about you. Yeah. If anybody out there has ever picked up General Aviation News or in other incarnations, GA News and Flyer and going back decades, that's a product of uh, one incredibly durable marriage and two incredibly fun people dave and lou scalare who produced a couple of great kids both in aviation ben is the publisher now uh, the the son is the publisher now of uh of uh, uh ga news and well dave's kind of under the weather yeah uh with something uh that has serious ramifications yeah and uh, he wasn't able to make sun and fun because of it we know he's being treated because of it We know that he's retained his sense of humor, which is among the more unique in aviation. So I'm going to sign off today with our our wishes from all of us at UCAP that you do well. Farewell, friend, and glad you got to see me. Yeah,
0: yeah, we do wish him the best, and uh, he's fighting this thing, which it is a pretty serious situation. But uh, the, there are lots of options, and they're working on it. And uh, I'm hoping we'll see him, maybe not this summer, but maybe next spring, we'll see him back uh, uh, out in the at the shows. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Anybody? Yeah. Not I'm good to go. Okay. Well, let's stick a fork in this one. Uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine.
2: David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, AEA.net, and, you know, other sundry and disreputable places. I may even turn up at Ponca this weekend. Oh, oh, oh really i'm Ooh. jealous that'd
0: be fun that'd be fun uh if it hasn't been blown away by tornadoes you guys are having a rough year out there i'll tell you Whew. oh we're not having near the year that folks east of us are yeah that's true that's true it's been pretty great, crazy out there yeah. and and jeb burnside uh, is a freelance aviation journal uh, aviation writer and editor and serving uh, these days as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine jeb where can people find you on the internet
1: pretty much the same old places haven't uh, haven't done anything uh, um, to expand that list contract it or or uh, change what's up there uh, jeburnside.com is the home uh homepage personal web website uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com uh, is the uh, day job uh, i'll pop up also on aea.net and sometimes on avweb.com
0: and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earle, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much, just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the new Improved blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you're going to say something? If you want to live
2: long, if you want to live forever, go out and fly as often as you can because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's
1: go flying. I really, really hate it when he tries to sing. (laughs) TTFN.